Thank you, Chris. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning. There are two passages. One is in Lamentations. I don't preach from this book much because it's such a sad book, and uh, most people don't want to be sad. And uh, I deal with sadness all the time, but there are some bright things in Lamentations. But this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about how you deal with losses in your life. Lamentations, third chapter, verses 32 and 33, and they seem to be an irony here to me when I read this. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. Now verse 33 seems to say just the opposite. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Do those two passages look like they're counteractive to me? I mean, when I read those... Though he brings grief, in one case, though he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone or to the children of men, what my text says. Does God bring grief? See, I believe God's sovereign, but I also believe he gives us choices. I believe in the free will of man. And I've, I've lived long enough to know in dealing with loss that there are going to be sometimes losses occur and there's no easy answer. You have to live with the question of why. Why did this happen? It's just like when I look at that picture of us on top of Wheeler Peak. And I know that Patrice was killed close to Christmas going to get Christmas music for First Baptist Church of Woodway in a car wreck, tragically, in Waco. And it wasn't her fault. And that doesn't make sense. Now, it's just tougher than nails. Second passage. 2 Corinthians, first chapter, verses 3 through 7. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Not some comfort, not a little bit of comfort, all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles, purpose clause, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance, and the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. See, folks, the ultimate purpose of our grief is God's comfort in our lives so that we in turn can comfort others. I'm going to share with you. I'm just going to talk to you straight out this morning. As a pastor, when a woman loses a baby in the hospital, I'm the last one she probably needs to talk to. You know why I say that? Because a woman who has lost another child herself can talk to her a great deal better than I can. Because she understands her pain. I've never given birth to a child. I've been at the birth of all three of my children. And I decided I'm glad the women got the, the issue of giving birth. I mean, I saw how much pain they went through. And I have to be honest, having been in the, the birthing room and, and handling my, my first child that was born, Josh, his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And he was blue when he came out. And that doctor was so careful. He just unwrapped it. Did it so kindly and so graciously. And I was about near panic mode. And he just held him up by the feet like y'all have seen on the movies. And whacked him on the bottom and he cried. Then he put a little cap on him, put him in an incubator for a while. 
and he's 37 years old now and got two kids of his own. How do we deal with the losses in our lives? If we live along, if we live long enough, and we don't have to be very old, this little girl, she mentioned a while ago, Paisley, I think, is who it was. Where's Paisley's mom and dad? Wasn't that the dog y'all gave away? I've got another dog. If you need a dog, I have another dog. <laughs> you, you know, just so y'all know, I, I do have a couple of dogs. I got one that won't quit chasing my horse, so I'll be happy to let. If y'all need a dog that likes to run, I have one that likes to run. He can be yours today. No charge. Already been vaccinated, been fixed, everything. Every one of us will deal with loss at some point in time. Maybe the loss of a loved one, a loss of a pet, loss of a job, loss of a home. Maybe some illness we wrestle with that, that there's no cure for on this earth. It may be when you don't win a ball game and you, you never lost before. Isn't that right, Seth? Since fifth grade, never lost. And you told me not to come back to your games anymore because I went to see your games and y'all you, lost the first time I came to see your games. I mean, terrible when your pastor's asked not to go to ball games. Brother Jerry, you're bad, bad juju. Don't come back. Every one of us, young and old alike, will lose something or someone that's dear to our heart. I could go on and on and talk about all kinds of things people lose. Second point, grief is the natural way that God blesses us to deal with loss, folks. Okay, grief. And all of us, you need to understand, everybody deals with grief in different ways. Some of us are very emotional and we cry. I'm an emotional type person. It doesn't take a lot for me to cry. I sometimes cry on the phone when I get bad news. When I came up years ago few years ago and that old 16-year-old golden retriever was dead there by the pond, I, I stopped the truck, picked him up, and cried all the way up to the house. And Brenda came out and said, what are you crying about? And I said, my buddy's gone. 16 years I've had that dog. You know, that, that, that dog never talked behind my back. He never said bad things about me. He never, did, even when he was sometimes not treated as he should have been treated, he still loved me unconditionally. That dog's one of my best friends because I could go and talk to God and talk to that dog and talk about y'all. And that dog, he never, he never spread a bad word about any of y'all. I want you to know that. You get my point. Five stages of grief, and you need to jot these down if you don't know them. Denial, first stage. Why is this happening to me and why now? What did I deserve to do this? Why is this happening? Folks, I want to share with you, you may never get the answer to the question why in some of your losses. Second stage, anger. I'm so mad this happened. I'm mad at the person that caused I'm mad at the... I'm, folks, I want to share something with you. God is big enough to deal with your anger. And anger is a natural response to loss. Somebody breaks you in your house and steals stuff, guess what? You get angry. Somebody does something that harms your family, you get angry. Bargaining, third stage. Make this go away, make it not happen, and I will do this for you, Lord. I want to share with you that a lot of that goes on among Christian people. God, if you'll just let my wife live, if you'll just let my child live, if, if my son can get out of prison, I will, I'll promise he will do this or I will do this. 
If you just get me out of this financial mess, I promise, Lord, I will tithe the rest of my life. Y'all know how many promises have been made to God on bargaining for some loss. It'd be unreal if you knew all of that. Depression. Fourth stage. I'm too sad to do anything. I don't feel like doing anything. I just don't want to. I've lost my, lost my motive for get, getting up. You know what the number one loss stressor in life is? It's the death of a spouse. Most psychologists, psychiatrists, people that track stresses in our life, number one loss is the death of a spouse. Number two is divorce in the top ten. Well, what is divorce? It's the, it's the loss of a spouse. And then there's the loss of a loved one. I would have thought loss of a child, to me, would be way up high next to the top three. Loss of a job is in there, in the top ten. Loss of a home. Loss of a job because of retirement. People go through depression when they... Mrs. Carr, y'all, some of y'all didn't know Mrs. Carr. Mrs. Carr was a wonderful church financial secretary we had over here. She was so mad when the hospital, good old witcher, cut her loose. She was 82 years old. She came down here so mad. Brother Jerry, they cut me loose. Mrs. Carr, you're 82. Most people retire at 65. I'm not ready to retire. There's nothing wrong with me. I said, Miss Carr, they've got to let you go to move, make. No, I don't care. Then she got sick. She went to Hamilton Hospital. And I want to tell y'all, she, she worked for Good All Witcher for 40 years. She got sick. She went over to Hamilton because she's still mad. I love her dearly. She's gone on to be with the Lord, you know, but. That's part of that anger and grief. See, she's suffering grief because she got cut loose from her job. Hear me. Some of y'all need to hear me. Your identity is not always in your job. And those of you that have retired know what I'm talking about. Our identity should be in Christ because jobs come and go. Average young person right here sitting on the front will change professions, not jobs, professions five times in their life before they go to the grave. Now, y'all stop and think about that. See, some of you older ones that grew up in the 50s, y'all been in the same job for 40 years or 50 years or 35 years. Zach, isn't that what you told me? 37 years teaching, same, same job, same profession. And acceptance, fifth stage of grief. I'm at peace with this. It happened, and I'm going to move on somehow. Hear the text from Lamentations again, Okay. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. Great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring grief or affliction to the children of men. What is the purpose of our losses? Well, ultimately the purpose, if you read it a while ago, in that passage in 2 Corinthians, we, what does it say? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, purpose clause, so that we can comfort those in any trouble that we have received ourselves, the comfort from God. God allows us to go through these things, folks, for His purpose and His glory. And there's sometimes I don't like it. I'll be honest with you. There's been a lot of times. I've buried over 40 family members, folks, in my lifetime. About 30-something of them, 32 or 3 of them, I did the funerals for. Three younger siblings. And I got to looking back this last week at how many funerals I've done in this church, and it's up over 500 now. Now, I want you all to stop and think about that. 
See, because now when I bury somebody like a Bill McClary or a John Rose, I'm not just burying a church member, I'm burying a friend that I have known for a long time that's like family to me. And I joked a little while ago about Miss Orella Carr, but when she died, I want you to know I cried because she was a dear friend. She was so faithful to this church. Here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, always taking care of our finances. You see, I ran across a, a poem, and I've quoted this before some time ago by Wendell Berry. It's his poem, Requiem. Requiem. It said, I've become a survivor of many and much that I love that I will not live to see come again on this earth. That's me. Survivor of many and much that I love that I will not live to see come again on this earth. If you look back in the passage in Lamentations, you'll see that Jeremiah, and I think he's the author of it, he was so distraught, he was so upset with all of the losses, he blames God for the losses. And so you know, Lamentations is actually a book about the destruction of Jerusalem in 587. Listen to his words. Look around and see if there's any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted upon me. That's 112. 116. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. 116. 120. See, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within in my heart. I am disturbed. Verse 221 is a, is a heartbreaking verse. See, both young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. Boy, when I saw that passage, I thought about Syria. I thought about Iraq and Afghanistan and any war-torn country, Sudan, where you have little children lying next to the grandparents or the parents that raised them. Young and old alike lie in the dust of the streets. What's Jeremiah talking about? He's talking about total destruction. He's talking about the loss of homes, the loss of city, the loss of worship places. The temple is going to be torn down and the people of God are going to be called and hauled off into Captivity in Babylon. Verse 3, 6. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. Have you ever been that way? I have. Where something happens that's so devastating, that's so hard to deal with, and you cry out to God, Why did this happen, Lord? Don't you hear me? I think he hears me. But he doesn't answer the way I want him to answer. See, in Lamentations, Jeremiah feels that God is responsible for all the suffering they're going through. And then he has a light turn on. Verse 321, he has a reflection and a moment of hope. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Chris put on the front of the bulletin, our secretary, they renew every morning. And they do. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. One of the great issues that I've wrestled with as a pastor and as a person, if God is so loving and gracious and he can protect us, then why doesn't he sometime? Now I want you to hear me. We live in a fallen world, folks. He gives us free will, but he also gives everybody else free will. And some men can be ruled by God and some men can be ruled by the devil. Some men are going to be ruled by their own sinfulness. So you know I believe Satan is real. He's the arch enemy of God, always has been. If you read the story of Job, and by the way, that's the oldest book in the Bible, not Genesis. Job is one, probably one of the oldest 
books written. It chronicles Job and all of his sufferings and how he responded to his suffering. You know, the scripture starts out in the first few verses of Job. It's, Satan's been roaming the earth and God poses the question, Hey, have you noticed my servant Job? It's like, it's like he set Job up. And Satan's response to him is, Hey, Job's got cattle and horses and sheep and everything. He's got children. He's got a big house. I mean, Job is a wealthy man. Who wouldn't serve you if you had that kind of wealth? God. That's what he poses to God. And then God, this is where it bothers me in Scripture. God almost sets Job up. He says, well, you let me take all that stuff and I'll show you that he won't serve you. And God gives him permission. Hear me. You can take the stuff, but you don't hurt Job. You don't take his life. Read the scripture. I've read through that book a hundred times because my wife at one point in my life felt like she's married to Job Smith, not Jerry Smith. <laughs> and the next thing you know, Job's wife comes in and says, why don't you curse God and die? And hear what Job says from scripture. You'll find it there. Why should we accept good from God and not bad or evil? In other words, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, in Job's day, there were a lot of people against him. And in our day, we'll have some people against us. But God is always going to protect us. You see, I'm banking on the, the passage I love from Romans where Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're going to have loss. Grief is the normal response. Let me share with you what you need to realize. Deal with your grief one day at a time. Hear me. I wrote in my Bible the other night as I was reflecting on all the losses I've had that I have robbed, I mean, I have robbed myself so many times of the moment of the day of time because of worry about what's going to happen. Y'all ever done that? You ever worry or have anxiety over something that might happen? Have you ever robbed yourself of the joy of living and the moment of grace and the movement of God's Spirit in your life because you're worried about what might happen down the road? Maybe y'all don't live the same place I do. Jesus says it like this, Hey, consider the birds of the air, flowers of the field. God's taking care of all those birds and He takes, takes care of those flowers. He adorns them better than any of Solomon's glory. So why are you worried? Can worry add one thing to your life? No, not a thing. It takes away from your life. Some of us can't get past the past. Did y'all know that? I found some people that they do not want you to take their grief away because their grief is what they live for. I've seen people sit by cemetery plots. I have a gentleman's friend of mine, 10 years he'd been going to his son's cemetery plot. And that's his business. I told you, everybody grieves in different ways. He lost his only son, is in a tragic accident, and he goes there to pray. It's his time of reflection there. Some of us can't get past the past. We have something that happens that destroys our faith or cripples us, and we, we, we're stuck there in it. Somebody hurts us. Somebody disappoints us. Somebody betrays us, and we're stuck in the past. And then some of us worry about the future so much we can't enjoy the present. I'm just telling you, I know where we live. 
God does not want us to live in the past or the future. The day is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it because it is a present. It's a gift. James says it like this. You who say you will go here or there and do this or that. No. James 4th chapter. You can look it up. You're a vapor, a mist that appears for a little while, and then you're vanished. You're gone. It's better to say if it's the, if it's the Lord's will, we will go and do this or that. The year was 1870. A couple lost a four-year-old son to scarlet fever. Their name was Horatio and Anna Spafford. Horatio was a well-known, successful Chicago lawyer and businessman, elder in the Presbyterian Church, who was on top of the world. He was Job. He had it all. And then the Chicago fire took place and destroyed most of his income-producing properties. In one fell swoop, he lost a lot of his wealth because of the fire in Chicago. And after they'd lost his son, they decided maybe we need to go back home and visit Anna's family. They lived in Norway, so you know. And he had business to tend to, so he loads up four of his children, his little girls, got on board the ship, Annie, 11, Maggie, 9, Bessie, 5, and Tanetta, 2 years old. They boarded the ship, headed for Norway via England with his wife, Anna, on board. They're going to visit their friends, D.O. Moody, who is evangelist of the day, and R.D. Sankey and Philip Bliss. And if you look in your hymnal, you'll find hymns from both those guys because they were great songwriters. While at sea, about a week out, their Norwegian cruise liner or ship collided with a Scottish ship, and the ship went down at sea. In fact, both ships eventually went down at sea. The ship his family was on, the, the captain began... Barking orders over the loudspeaker. Everything's going to be all right. Don't panic. We, they start to unload to get ready to put the lifeboats in the water. And guess what had happened, folks? They had painted the lifeboats, and the lifeboats were stuck to the ship deck with paint. 313 people on board. 226 died. The ship sank in 12 minutes. Follow that. The Lockhearn, which was the Scottish ship that hit it, 61 passengers, they saved. 26 of the crew, they saved. But then that ship also went down. And the Tree Mountain, a cargo ship, came up on the collision and saved most of the people that survived. His wife sent him a telegram seven to eight days after those two ships collided at sea, and it said these words, Saved alone, what shall I do? Now, I want you all to stop and think about this. This was a Christian family, devoted devout in their faith doing everything that they thought God wanted them to do and they lose all four daughters at sea he immediately sent a telegram back I'm on my way and he boarded a, a ship going to Wales that's where she was and when he got close to where the two ships had gone down he went to his cabin and he penned these words and I want you to hear the words that he penned because I'm not sure Going through that much grief with those kind of losses, I'd have been able to pen these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows and sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul.
Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And the last verse, in Lord haste the day when the faith shall be right, sight, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well, it is well with my soul. If you'd been here last Monday morning, for Bill McClary's funeral, you would have heard Austin Daniel, our former minister of music. He hit it out of the park on that so on that song solo. Is it well with your soul this morning? It wouldn't be well with my soul if I'd lost four children. I can tell you that. Thing of it is, they after those losses, they came back to Chicago, but things were never the same. They never are the same after you have those kind of losses, folks. He gave up his eldership in the Presbyterian Church, began to have a little Bible study in his home, trying to deal with his losses. Got tired of people asking me, how do you feel? Folks, sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut when somebody loses somebody that they love. It's better just come up and say, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you, and hug them and cry with them. Okay? They had three more children, a son and two daughters. Well, the little son died of scarlet fever too, three years old. But the two daughters survived. And Horatio Spafford and his wife, Anna, they had a compassion and a heart. 150 years ago, 1870, when this occurred, 100, whatever that is, 130-something, 40 years ago, they had a heart and compassion for the Jewish and Muslim people. And so they moved, sold everything they had, and moved to become missionaries in Israel among the Jews and the Muslims. And that's where he's buried, Mount Zion Cemetery, along with his wife, Anna. I'm not sure I have the faith that Horatio Spafford showed when he penned those words. When you lay to rest 40 family members plus, I heard a mother the other night, just last night on the news, who lost three little girls last week in a tragic house fire in Colleen. Y'all probably saw it. And I appreciated her candor and her faith. She said, yes, I lost those three girls, and I know where they are. See, that tells me she knows the Lord's going to take care of them. But then she said, I have two more. I have other children I have to take care of. Two little ones, I think is what she asked. And I have to be strong for them to help them get through this trauma and this trial and this difficulty. We live one day at a time, folks. That's all we're guaranteed. So when you suffer grief, live it out one day at a time. Don't borrow trouble from the future okay a few years in vacation bible school a few years ago we had uh, the little rock marmot was one of those little furry creatures that lived up on the himalayas close to mount everest and that little rock marmot was there to remind us that that god is able to help us and has the power to comfort us and i've seen rock marmots on top of wheeler peak they do live in the rocky crags and they do deal with snow and they do raise their young among difficult circumstances. But our children learned that those rock marmots God created, and they're so fuzzy and everything, that they bring a sense of comfort when you, when you see that little animal. You just see it, and you, you feel, he's a little soft, fuzzy animal. We had a few of those around here where kids could feel it. When you go through heartache and loss, God comforts us. How does he do that? 
with each other. We're in the fellowship of believers, folks. We comfort one another. We are able to comfort one another because we receive comfort from God. All of us will need comfort at some point in our lives. Realize that. Live each day. Look at the opportunity that you can be a comfort to someone else. <laughs> you know what we Baptists do when somebody loses somebody? We take them food. I mean, that's all we know what to do. It's, I mean, we, and I have to be honest, food is okay. Don't, don't reject food. Don't reject somebody's love and comfort while they're trying to help you. Most people that lose somebody that's dear to their heart, the last thing they want to do is eat, I will tell you that. And please, when somebody loses a little baby, a child, don't go up and say, God need another angel in heaven. That is bad theology, folks. We do not turn into angels when we die. I don't know where we got that from, and I love It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe that's where we got it from, the old Hollywood movie. But we do not turn into angels. They are separate, created, heavenly beings. We have a soul, and we don't know what heaven's going to be like. And I can tell you this, the Scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love Him. It's going to be better than what we think it is. There's so much pain and evil and suffering in the world. You ever stop to think about that? Where does suffering come from? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Some suffering comes from man himself, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly. Man's sin or failure causes some suffering. Folks, it just does. It always has. You know? Man's failure leads to some suffering and pain. We only have to look at all of the attacks in the last week around the world that have been because of violence, of man's sin, and people lost, and dust, children and adults lie dead in the streets. Some suffering comes from natural events, earthquakes, floods, tornadoes, ice storms, hurricanes, need I go on. We live in a world that's fallen, and there's some things that happen that we don't have the, we don't know why. Why did it happen? Why did it happen to us? Why did that tornado hit this house? And See, my neighbor lost his house a few years ago, about 10 years ago. Tornado missed our house by 200 yards. Why did it hit his dead center? Good question. Did God have angels protecting mine? I don't know. Natural events, folks, you don't know why they happen. They're just national disasters sometimes and natural disasters. Earthquakes, hurricanes, avalanches, firestorms. Ask all those people in California who just lost their homes if they are dealing with loss. I want to share with you, life will never be the same for them. Some suffering comes from Satan. If you study Christ's life, most of the suffering he endured came straight from the devil, from Satan. And I know some of you don't believe there's a Satan, but I want to share with you, the Scripture says, we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that are on high. Some suffering from comes from God allowing it to happen in our lives. I don't like that. Scripture says, I just read it to you, though he brings grief, his love is going to be compassionate, it's unfailing, and he does not willingly bring affliction or grief on children of men. You see, in Job's case, God allowed Satan to deal with Job. But in the end of that story, you need to read the, the rest of the story. God blessed his life more than he had all before. And in the middle of that book, you have Job declaring, I know who I 
have believed in and am persuaded that he's able, he's going to keep me. You know, that's where we get that song. Now, how can we learn to comfort others? You've got to receive God's comfort, okay? You can't comfort, you can't comfort others unless you're going to receive his comfort. And some people don't want to receive his comfort. Some people will not be comforted. Did you know that? I've gone by and visited people who suffered for years at the loss of a loved one. They had a shrine built in their house to the memory of that person. We had a lady in our church when I first came here, and we, I want to share with you, when you're a pastor and you've got three kids, you don't get invited out to eat very often. You know, because there's three kids to feed on top of the husband and wife. And the Sunday we were invited out to her house, and she's gone on into glory now. She had her husband's room was a memorial museum to him. All the coats were there. All the clothes. Everything was just like he'd been dead for six or seven years. And she wanted me to listen to his funeral sermon tape. I won't tell you, folks. I'll endure a lot of things for a good meal, but I don't, you know, I'm really not into listening to somebody else's funeral sermon. You see, if we're going to receive and understand God's comfort, then we have to let Him comfort us however He does it. And when we receive a gift, we open it and we show a sense of praise. Now, I know some of y'all get gifts you don't want. I mean, I got married a long time ago. We had a lot of gifts. Well, why did we get this? You know, why did we get that? And I know some of you re-gift those gifts because I've seen them at showers, you know. And when somebody comes by and brings you some kind of spaghetti casserole or chicken salad or whatever, when you've lost a loved one, you receive it in grace. Hear me. They don't know what you're going to do with it. You just clean the bowl and give it back to them and write a thank you note, okay? Just so you know, I don't like, if we lose somebody, do not bring me sauerkraut. <laughs> I don't like it. Never have liked it, don't want any of it, okay? Purpose clause so that we might be able to comfort others from the comfort we have received. Part of the way of dealing with grief is turning around and using the grief that you've been through to help somebody else. You follow me? Why? Because suffering produces endurance and patience and a deeper faith in our lives. If you look at those 2 Corinthians 6 and 7 verses, so God can produce us endurance and patience and a deeper faith so that we might sympathize with others in the suffering in our world, so that we might learn to rely on God, 2 Corinthians 1.8, and so that we might express gratitude. You know, when I look at those pictures that I used for the children's sermon a while ago, I have nothing but gratitude. Yeah, I miss those people. But we had more fun than a barrel of monkeys going down to Independence. And on top of that, we got to go on down to Brenham. And y'all know what ice cream factory is in Brenham. And we got a tour of it. And we got free ice cream there. First Baptist Church at Clifton got free ice cream. Just so y'all know. At the Brenham Dairy Place. That wonderful gold top. And we got to taste a bunch of different varieties. See, I have memories and gratitude for those times. And when you've hiked to the top of the highest point in a state, you know, you can look and see in every direction and we have that memory and nobody can take it from us. 
Learn to express gratitude in your life for the ways God has worked, folks. And then help prepare your loved ones to deal with your eventual loss. Hear me. Some of us are at a point in our life where we need to get our houses in order. Because I want to share with you, if you don't have anything planned, when you lose somebody, it puts a lot of burden on them. I've already got in my office the funeral sermons of what people want to be used in their sermon. I've got the places they're going to be buried. I've got Beulah. She sent me everything. Who's going to do what? Who's going to sing this? Beulah's up in her 90s now. I forgot how old. She's about 96 or 97. You know. Mrs. Keller, I've shared this before. At age 90, she called me. She's my English teacher in junior high and my Spanish high school teacher. Three years said, Jerry, would you do my funeral? I said, sure. Are you about to die, Miss Keller? No, I just want to get everything in order. I'm 90 years old. I said, well, I went to school with your, your daughter Betsy and your daughter Becky. You can't be 90 years old. See, my mother was 65 at the time that Miss Keller called me and she's 90. I said, how in the world could, the, could you be that old? She said, I was an old maid school teacher and I had both those children when I was into my mid-40s. Boy, my eyes got about that big. Twelve years later, at 102, I did her service. Okay? She's just getting ready, getting prepared. You know, Miss Elsie King turned 101 last year, 100th birthday. I went to her birthday, and she said, Brother Jerry, I was thinking about asking you to do my, my funeral, but I may outlive you. <laughs> Folks, God can help us with our losses. He really can. You know, we need to realize we're going to have losses. We need to realize it's okay to grieve. We need to realize that we live one day at a time. We need to realize we need to receive His comfort so we can comfort others. We also need to give thanks for how God has worked in our lives, and we need to prepare our family when those losses come. And by the way, if anybody needs a dog, I still have a couple I'll give away. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the day. We thank you for your love and your watch care over us. And we thank you for the losses in our life as well as the good times. Because those losses teach us to trust you and to love you and to turn to you in our time of need. We thank you for those people who have comforted us. Help us in turn to be comforts to other people. Help us to know your presence always and to be ready to trust you fully no matter what happens in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is called The Servant Song. I'll be here at the front to receive you if you have a decision you'd like to make.